Support for The Interchange comes from Trina Solar, a global leader in PV modules and smart energy solutions. With decades of industry recognition and awards, Trina is committed to delivering reliable and fully bankable solar technology to the world. Scientists at Trina Solar's State Key Laboratory of PV Science and Technology work to break new solar cell efficiency records year after year. In addition to groundbreaking R&D, Trina is transforming the solar industry with the launch of its all-in-one Trina Pro utility solution. Download the free Trina Pro solution guidebook in the show notes of this episode. We're also brought to you by SNC Electric. New technologies are unlocking innovative ways to solve power-related challenges. Conventional wired approaches may still be viable options, but they're not always the best solution. Today, non-wires alternatives like microgrids can provide more sustainable, resilient, and economic ways to deliver reliable power, and they can be designed to your unique needs. SNC Electric Company has provided innovative power solutions for over a hundred years. Learn more about their offerings at SNC dot com slash nwa green tech media podcast this is the interchange conversations on the future of energy from green tech media i'm shale khan i'm a managing director at the venture capital firm energy impact partners and this week decoding the energy consumer Every pathway toward economy-wide decarbonization drives straight through a dramatic transformation in the electricity sector. But so much of the discussion in that sector focuses on the supply side. How fast will wind and solar displace fossil fuels? What will happen with natural gas? What will happen with coal? What role should batteries play? And so on and so forth. But there is another important player in this game, and that is the energy consumer. And I think part of the reason that the consumer often doesn't get quite as much attention in the conversation is that we consumers are complicated and confusing, particularly when it comes to energy. It's hard to discern exactly how much we care about energy in the first place, what our preferences are, how much we care about climate change, what decisions we'll make based on the degree to which we care about those things, what we'll actually pay for. And so many folks, be they entrepreneurs or policymakers or or otherwise, have kind of thrown up their hands, I think, on this question and focused on solving problems purely on the supply side. But that is a mistake. Most sectors across the economy that have undergone some kind of dramatic transformation have seen that transformation driven in large part by changing customer behavior. And I don't think there's any particularly strong reason to think that energy should be distinct. So we need to understand the energy consumer. We need to understand what options and products and services are available to them and how best to deliver them so that they can be a catalyst for the energy transition. Fortunately, there are a select few who've been working tirelessly to unlock the potential of the energy consumer at scale. And I'm excited to have one of the best here with me today. Um, I'm happy to welcome Kieran Batraju, who is the CEO of Arcadia, the leading consumer energy platform in the United States, to the show. Kieran, welcome. Thanks, Shale. Um, so full disclosure to start, Energy Impact Partners, where I work, is an investor in Arcadia. We led the Series A and have participated in future financings after that. Um, my partner, Samir Reddy, sits on the board, so works with Kieran day in and day out. Um, so we are obviously fans of Arcadia, but the point here is to have a broader conversation largely about um, you know what you, Kieran, have seen in this world of energy consumers and 
uh, and how it's going to evolve the sector. So we're not going to make this a sales pitch for Arcadia, but I do want to start by contextualizing the conversation around what you do at Arcadia. So this is your one shot, Kieran. Give us the uh, give us the elevator pitch for Arcadia. We make it super simple for anyone who pays a power bill to access 100% clean energy. No matter where you live, apartment, home, Kentucky, California, it doesn't matter. Uh, you can sign up for the platform, pay your bills through us, and access renewable energy. All right. So we'll probably get into some of the nuances of how you deliver that and what that actually means in the course of the conversation. But, I mean, the important thing for the the context here is that, you know, you're sort of day in and day out figuring out how to deliver consumers something that they have to actively sign up for. They got to sign up to be a part of the Arcadia platform. So they have to take an action for you to to have new customers. And that action is, you know, entirely energy focused, right? So whereas a lot of other products that are energy adjacent, so like a smart thermostat maybe is the perfect example of this, other things that have scaled have, uh, you know, used something else as a Trojan horse to deliver energy um, or energy value. In the case of a smart thermostat, it's comfort or ease or, you know, whatever. Um, the I, To me, the important thing with Arcadia is like you are leading with energy. When you, when you were starting the company, were you terrified of that prospect or were you always like, no, this is actually, you know, there are enough people who care enough about energy that this could work? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's terrifying to start a company no matter what. Uh, so that, that was definitely part of it. But, um, you know, one thing I'll say is um, this concept of a clean energy consumer is brand new, right? So if we if we think about what the market's been for a hundred years, I mean, you talk about the utility market, there were no choices. Um, there weren't companies that necessarily were focused on the customer. As you know, like most utilities have a zero or negative MPS, and uh, they they tend to care about the customer maybe as much as the regulator does. The idea of a clean energy consumer is really new, um, which is part of the reason we started Arcadia is I think there, there was finally a consumer who, who cared, wanted access, wanted choices. And when we think about, you mentioned some of the products that are sort of the ends of energy. It's the, the energy is a means to the, the common phrases, cold beer, warm showers, et cetera. And I think that's true. I think when we bucket energy consumers at Arcadia and we think about them, there's there's sort of a, there's a couple of different buckets. One is um, you know the customer who actually cares about the energy, right? And that is your educated consumer who is thinking about the climate, is likely politically engaged, and is and knows that there's uh, you know this concept of uh, renewable, emissions-free energy, small but growing market. Then there's the mass market of the customers who are looking for the ends, right? So uh, convenience, your extremely sort of rational consumer who's maybe looking for pure savings, and that that customer is maybe backing into now, uh, how can I buy cleaner energy? Um, there's a third consumer that we we think about a lot at Arcadia that is we call the convenient environmentalist. They may be attracted to an emotional, uh, sexy brand, but they want simplicity. They want the ease of setup. They want act, you know, simple structures that aren't super complicated. And so this, I think what's most exciting about our market and really like peer companies and that are in clean energy is this consumer is brand new. They're being educated for the first time. They maybe haven't attached the idea of energy to the products that they use in the past. It was more about the product. The energy was not uh, the thing that they thought about. 
And so it's it's a really new market. I mean, in some ways you can think about streaming or even social media, like there, there are cycles of consumer education that have to happen for people to to be thinking about how to use use a product. And, and going back to in the US, there just weren't choices, right? So people people had to use the utility and they didn't have a choice. So they didn't have to think about it. And we're, I think we're only at the beginning of a super cycle of people actually thinking about what's powering their home. And so that was you know, one of the core reasons we started Arcadia is we saw this shift in consumer sentiment around something that I think people just took for granted in their lives as the thing that you know is connected to their home. So I want to drill down a little bit on this new category of consumer. I mean, I think the first category that you described is the traditional one. There's going to be some group of people, you know, there was a market for, you know, quote unquote, green energy that was delivered by like green power options that utilities would offer on utility bills. That was, you know, lots of people had the option to pay a little bit more for electricity in exchange. The utility would buy renewable energy credits, sleeve them over the power, and then you get hundred percent clean power, but it was additive, it was additive cost on your bill. So hundreds of thousands of people did that, but millions of people did not do that. I presume that's the sort of, you know, first category that you're describing. These are the people who care enough about this issue that they're, you know, they will proactively pay more for the same service, except that it's green. Um, but this third category that you're describing, the new one seems like the sort of important one, the, the convenient environmentalist, which is sort of like, if I'm understanding it right, these are people who would be happy to have greener energy, probably aren't going to pay a whole lot extra for it. But if it comes riding on the back of some other benefit, security, comfort, you know, cold showers, warm beers. No, I'm sorry. It's the opposite of that. Warm showers, cold beers. Um, then, then they'll sign up at the blink of an eye. Am I understanding that right? First of all. And second of all, like, do you have, is there evidence that we could point to of how big that group is? Yeah, I think it's massive. Um, but let's let's back up for a second. So you mentioned um, so the brand and the emotional appeal, right? That's Tesla, that's Nest, premium products, but they've been able to acquire a rabid fan base around a sexy, emotional, sexy appeal of the product itself. Um, energy is sort of secondary, right? I would say the second bucket is the extremely rational, um, and I, I would put there's sort of two sub subclasses in here. But the extremely rational consumer. Um, looks at the lease or the loan and does the math and understands that I'm basically getting paid to use my roof and I'll do rooftop solar, right? Um, DC, where I live uh, and our company is based, is a great market uh, for rooftop solar. You can effectively get payback in three and a half and four, or four years, which begs the question, why doesn't every roof in DC at least have two or three or four panels? <laughs> um, and it's because it's hard work right. to be that extremely rational consumer. Um, and I think this market is growing cause you have to be super educated to go through the process of thinking about, you know, a power plant on your roof, et cetera. But that's the second bucket, this much, much, much bigger bucket of customers. That is, in my opinion, everyone that pays a power bill, um, are the folks where they, there's, there's a pretty steep education curve to understand what it means when you make a choice and what actually happens in the background. But what's driving them to make the appeal is a mix of emotion, which is likely around climate, climate change, uh, decarbonizing their home, uh, their, their neighborhood, their community, plus convenience. This stuff has to be simple, right? The ease of setup. Um, you see this across consumer 
businesses, frankly, um, you know, uh, I mean, Prime and DoorDash and a number of companies that are just building, you know, the brightest minds in Silicon Valley thinking about reducing friction. Um, and I think for us, the 80% of people who have no idea what solar, community solar, what the benefits are, um, it's building convenience. And I think, look, Tesla and Sunrun have done a lot toward this end when it comes to thinking about solar as a service, uh, how, to, how to create subscription products. One of the things that we're particularly excited about about community solar is it is not just available to anyone who lives in apartments, but the ways you can structure them so that you don't have long-term contracts. You don't have to do very like uh, credit checks and sort of otherwise difficult things. And so that to me is just a massive market that we're just now scratching the surface on because we have the products that check the box on extreme rationality, right? Can save you money, be good for the environment. We're starting to check the boxes on brand and emotional appeals. And obviously we've talked about companies that do that really, really well already. And now it's how do I get the person who you know, is on the beginning of that learning curve because all they know is I pay a power bill every month. Right. That's all they know. How do they get across the line? Right. I've actually been periodically, I remind myself of how impressed I am at how much rooftop solar has been able to scale residential rooftop solar. Like you're absolutely right. For many, many people in this country, it is a true rational economic decision. And that clearly is the thing that caused that market to take off. Right. It was, there was a small but pretty stagnant residential solar market for like decades and then sunrun and solar city and and Sungevity come along and vivant and they start offering like zero money down or or very little down leases or ppas you could save money on day one the like it puts the sort of rational economic decision like right in front of your face as the as the consumer and yet they were still selling 20-year contracts I don't sign a 20-year contract for anything in my home. I mean, my mortgage is literally the only thing that has more than a 20-year term on it. And yet, 2 million-plus consumers have done this. So in my mind, that that bucket of the kind of pure rational consumer is actually surprisingly large, given what we've seen in rooftop solar, which is probably an indication that you're right, that like, you know, this even bigger group of people who are not even that far up the learning curve probably are not going to spend the time to like do the math on the solar lease, but would be happy given the emotional and convenience things that you said is, is probably right. Um, but I do want to ask about those two individually. So first on emotion, you know, there's obviously, I think a rising tide of concern around climate change, like all, all data points to that. And so the macro conditions support the idea that there's like greater emotional um, behavior and decision-making around climate change mitigation and personal responsibility for it. Do you see that as being a, you know, increasing baseline level of emotional interest or is it event driven? Like, do you see, I mean, specifically for Arcadia, do you see increased interest in Arcadia's platform, for example, in the wake of a natural disaster in a given region? Do people have like spiky interest in climate change mitigation, or is it pretty fixed? No, it has been. It's a great question. It has been event-driven. I mean, one of the biggest days in Arcadia's history was right after Donald Trump got elected, when we were still a very young company. But uh, to this day, one of our one of our biggest days. Uh, but I think these things are building on each other, right? I mean, the fires in the West, the hurricanes, um, 
you know, the, the idea of attaching the value prop of resilience to the clean energy consumer. It's brand new, but it's meaningful for the first time. And, you know, Sunrun and Tesla and, and have, have done a great job of this. So it, it's, it is event driven, but it's, it's slowly building on itself, right? And these communities are communities that care about climate first, communities that care about resilience, frankly, communities that feel like the incumbent wasn't the, didn't care about them and wasn't taking care of the local grid as, as, as you can see in California. But going back to something you said earlier, um, I mean, I want to be honest for a second, like the, the rooftop solar companies have so much room to get better at what they do. And it, it, what you said about, you know, the, the 20 year agreements, the difficulty, there's this in most consumer companies, you obsess over something called the funnel, right? The funnel is is how you get customers into your product and the different steps along the way. Most consumer companies, I think most rooftop solar companies, they're so focused on the sort of door knock or mail piece to the close, but there's so much more work to do way up in the funnel, which is the very first time the consumers ever in the wild hears about solar and thinks about, you know, is being educated for the first time. And when you think about like, there's billions of dollars that have been spent on marketing and it's mostly pretty old school marketing in rooftop solar. And to your point, it's this amazing product. It's basically free money in a lot of markets and it's clean, but there's just been way too much focus, I think, on the, the sort of process of closing rather than all the intangibles that can make it, you know, the influencers, the sort of brand marketing, the things, a lot of stuff that frankly Tesla does well, but even getting utility data or, or, um, you know, finding ways to, get into the home and, um, through different channels. So there's there's so much more to uncover in, in that world of rooftop solar because the product is undeniably better than the utility, right? And so that rational consumer, that's already won. That's been checked. Now the brand and emotional appeals, more and more people thinking about climate. These are all the things that I think will enhance and accelerate rooftop solar and community solar in the coming years. Yeah, it's interesting. I think there have been, on rooftop solar, there have been a, a few, I guess, you know, semi attempts at the really like high level consumer awareness push. I mean, you've never, you're right. I don't know that there's been like a big influencer campaign or anything like that. As far as I know, the most famous spokesperson for a rooftop solar company, at least that I can recall was Bill Walton, who was a shill for NRG home solar. I think that says everything you need to know about influencer marketing. Yeah. Well, Bill Bill Walton is very influential to me, I can say. And don't get me wrong. Yeah. Bill Walton's dope. Like, yeah. (laughs) But yeah, it's true. I mean, we haven't seen that quite yet. I think that was probably David Crane's vision at NRG before, before he got kicked out, but that was like his, his idea he was trying to build toward why he ended up with Bill Walton was the best he could do. I mean, we put T-Pain in a bathtub. Yeah, you got T-Pain. And Shaq is selling smart thermostats. I think Sunrun, Tesla's got Elon, and I think Sunrun can get some, you know, pretty amazing celebrities uh, on a roof. Um, I want to talk about the convenience thing. We've been talking about the emotion thing. Convenience is the other thing you mentioned. And there, that's where, you know, I think Arcadia is a little bit different from from the other sort of energy-related consumer products that have scaled. Again, we keep mentioning things like Tesla and Nest, but they're, they're good examples where, again, you know, you said this too, like energy is sort of secondary, but in Arcadia's case, energy is right up at the front forefront. So for example, when you're selling community solar to customers, are you first and foremost, are you selling savings 
or are you first and foremost selling clean energy or are they co-equal? Yeah, they're co-equal. I mean, Shell, you know this best that like we have a pretty balkanized energy market. And so what we can sell in Virginia is very different than what we can sell in Maryland, which has, you know, community solar programs. The, the sort of a number one reason people come to Arcadia is they want cleaner energy. If we can provide them savings, that's like the sinker, right? The hook is cleaner energy. The sinker is, oh, you can get savings. It's a simpler bill to pay. There's auto pay options. We'll show you, we'll surface your data in ways the utility never has. And we'll connect you to the whole world of, of services. Um, you're probably f- familiar with, you know, these theories of bundling and unbundling and the cycles of, of how, um, certain sectors go through. Um, I would say we had a completely bundled energy experience for a century. And then about a decade to two decades ago, things started getting unbundled a bit. You had retail energy markets popping up. You had smarter devices in the home. You had rooftop solar, EVs, all the things we're talking about now. And I think when I started the company, to your point, it was this unbundled idea of a singular message around cleaner energy through something very simple in renewable energy certificates. And even the evolution of my company and what I think the market is going through is a rebundling because there are so many different interesting and valuable point solutions in the market. And we've already described six of them. And I think the, the, this entire world is going through a rebundling where you're not just selling rooftop solar. So to go back to this world again, where I think these companies fail a bit, is they're, they're signing up customers to a 25-year home relationship. And yet a lot of them are just putting panels on the roof and then walking away. And that's a massive missed opportunity because you can monetize. You're basically the spear into the home. You are the real home manager. It's not smart speaker companies. It's uh, you providing power to this home. And so I think the rebundling of EV services, resilience, a retail plan, all these things is, is where markets are going for DER technologies and, and clean energy products. We'll be right back with more of the conversation. First, a quick word about our supporters of this show, companies that help bring you the show for free. We're brought to you by Trina Solar. With utility-scale solar poised for major growth in the coming years, stakeholders need to ensure they're optimizing projects for better performance. As the next major step forward for the solar industry, Trina introduced the Trina Pro utility solution to make things easier for project developers and EPCs. It combines Tier 1 modules, state-of-the-art trackers, and industry-leading inverters into one customized smart solution that improves energy gains while lowering the levelized cost of energy. You can get the Trina Pro Solution Guidebook to learn more about the benefits of the all-in-one utility solution in the show notes of this podcast. We're also brought to you by SNC Electric. Power-related challenges and opportunities are certainly becoming more complex. Reliability concerns, rising energy costs, cybersecurity risks, they can jeopardize operations, while new technologies like electric vehicles and microgrids offer great potential. Solving these challenges requires careful consideration before making major investments. If you're a utility or commercial enterprise today, you're faced with a critical decision. Select a conventional wired approach or respond in a non-conventional way. Even with dedicated in-house resources, arriving at a conclusion can be uncertain and time-consuming. You can evaluate these big decisions more efficiently and with more confidence by working with an experienced integrator like SNC Electric Company. SNC will be with you every step of the way, thoroughly working through your challenges and reviewing your energy needs to offer an expanded set of solutions developed for you. 
Learn more at snc.com NWA. So I think this is one of the most interesting and important questions about the, you know, call it five-year, 10-year future of the energy consumer and distributed energy resources. This question of like whether, whether and to what degree a rebundling will occur. I will say that like there have been attempts historically, even among these rooftop solar companies, to bundle. Like Solar City famously, maybe not so famously, they had an energy efficiency division that they were pushing for for quite a while back in kind of the early days. Never really went anywhere. A lot of these companies, you know, and you know, you know this better than I do probably, but a lot of the, the rooftop solar companies partnered up with um, competitive retailers. You know, in the sort of like what 2012, 13-ish time frame. So they were trying to bundle retail energy and and solar. You've seen a bunch of these other ones as well with smart home monitoring devices and things like that. And, you know, it has worked in little pockets, but there's not been a truly bundled home energy experience. I think maybe Tesla is the closest to that, but even they, like, I don't know the numbers on the proportion of their customers who get a Tesla car, a power wall, and a Tesla roof, solar roof, or even just, you know, solar installation. I doubt it's super high. And this gets to the fundamental question to me, which is like bundling in this sector, there's so many reasons why it makes more sense, right? You know, at the end of the day, if you want to do anything in relation to the energy markets with the devices that are in your home, it's going to be much easier if you can aggregate them and have a single, from the perspective of the energy market, the wholesale market or whatever it is, single point through which you can control all those things so that you're not dealing down at the device level with a bunch of different devices in the in the individual home. So if you want to monetize this stuff, bundle away. Also, to your point, like if these are things that consumers want um, and they want them all to work together and they want it to be simple and not complex and all that, bundle away. And yet it still strikes me that it's actually quite a challenge to, for example, bundle the sale of an electric vehicle charger with a rooftop solar system or even with a thermostat. The buying cycles are not aligned. The buying process is very different and the brands currently are pretty disparate. So I just wonder how, like, I want bundling to work, but I, I worry about how we're going to get there and like practically how it actually plays out. Just because uh, it hasn't happened yet doesn't mean that uh, the winner is not going to do it. It bundling ultimately is how you will extract the most value from a consumer without having the consumer to do a ton of education. And a great example of this is of sort of the unbundling and the rebundling is what's happening in the sort of financial tech space where you've seen all the pieces of someone's financial life, checking, savings, 401ks, et cetera, get pulled apart. And now platforms like Wealthfront and Betterment and companies that were just doing checking now doing SoFi is the maybe the greatest example for those of you who are not familiar. It's literally every single strand of a customer's financial life. Now, the way I think bundling works well is when you think about a life cycle customer rather than trying to do everything up front. And so this goes back to all, um, <laughs> what I think rooftop solar companies get wrong. You're, you're in a 25-year relationship, whether it's rooftop solar or anyone, it could be a smart thermostat company. When someone's thinking about their energy in their home, it's, their, it's the entire time they'll be in that home, right? So it's a significant relationship. Getting in the door with something simple like RECs, offsets, retail energy plans, 
is an amazing way to engage the consumer, understand their data, and then understand how they live, and then move into these, frankly, what are some pretty intense products, which are batteries, solar, EV chargers, maybe a water heater switch, things down the road, energy efficiency. I don't think a lot of companies in our space have thought about life cycles. And a lot of consumer companies do this really well, where there's a hook and then they're thinking about not just what is my NPV on putting a solar panel on the roof, but what's my NPV with a basket of products over a 10, 15 year lifetime to deliver this customer for life. And so I think this is, we're still in the early innings of this. And I think Arcadia is trying to do a lot at the, the very, we've sort of started at the very top of the funnel around basic engagement, the bill, data, et cetera. But I think a lot of DER companies over time will realize like, you know, as FERC 2222 goes into, you know, actual rules, like there's just so much more value over time and with other products. And you know, Sun, Sunrun, and you mentioned Tesla, I think these companies are talking publicly about how to attach resilience with the solar sail, how to attach charging and clean energy charging with the vehicle. Every automaker, I think, that's creating an EV is interested in that. So I think we're at the cusp of this bundling process, and whoever thinks about it in terms of the life cycle of the customer will actually win. Yeah, I I think that's right. The other thing you alluded to here, which is, you know, part of where Arcadia shines and where I think is is an interesting question is around billing and not just billing, but like rates, rate structures, right? I mean, most of us residential energy consumers in the United States, it varies, obviously, as everything does with, with electricity from state to state and utility to utility and customer to customer. But broadly speaking, you know, we pay pretty fixed rates, um, fixed per kilowatt hour with some kind of fixed charge attached to it. We're starting to see some movement in the direction of time of use rates. California has it mandated. Lots of other places have some time of use rates. I think at the at the end of the day, there's a spectrum here of like the degree to which electricity rates for consumers should be dynamic to to reflect and help monetize the value of all these new products and services versus simple and fixed to make it as easy as possible for the customer. I know Arcadia has a particular view on this, but as you think about that spectrum, figure one end of the spectrum, completely flat bill, um, other meaning like not even varying by usage, other end of the spectrum, you know, real-time dynamic time of use rates that vary throughout the course of the day. What do you think um, is the right way to bring the largest group of customers into this market? Yeah, I'll say um, no matter what, surfacing time of use rates or wholesale rates is incredibly important. There's a massive segment of the market that is interested in simplicity and convenience. And that is where the flat bill comes into play. It's a totally new way for a customer to engage and, and buy energy. Uh, it involves a lot of risk. And in order for a third party to flatten a customer's bill, they need to be able to make money off of a time of use rate, right? They need to know that there are price signals that say the thermostat should be turned up or down at this time. And so these things aren't necessarily trade-offs. They need to exist in tandem for a third party to actually manage it. And I mentioned third party because I think a consumer being exposed to 
price changes within an hour is really dangerous because most consumers, again, going back to the simplicity argument, the vast majority of Americans who are maybe just beginning their energy education, for them to suddenly be exposed, for example, to um, you know a 10 cent rate going up to a, a 50 cent rate in an hour is, is not the right customer experience. But in general, the, there's not necessarily a trade-off between these two things. I think the convenient customer who wants convenience will want a flat bill, but the company that's actually providing that still needs access to a time of use rate. Yeah, though I, though I will say, I mean, I think you're right. Like, just to be more specific, if you give if you give a customer a flat bill, say your bill is now one hundred dollars a month fixed, no matter what, the the risk that you run is that that gives the customer every incentive in the world to use more energy than they did before, and that whoever's providing that flat bill would then be out of the money in the case that that happens. So the way that you make up for that is you say, you attach, you say, let me give you this flat bill, but in exchange for that, you have to let me do some things in your home, either deliver some energy efficiency services or control your thermostat or your EV charger a little bit or whatever, something so that I can lower my cost to serve you um, below that $100, which then becomes my margin, but on your side, you'll have simplicity and convenience and, and a fixed bill. You know, it can be done the way that you're describing, the way the Arcadia does it, by sleeving a fixed bill on top of an actual tariff that a customer pays um, for the utility. So it could be a really dynamic actual electricity rate that you basically bear on behalf of the customer, which then you simplify for the customer into a fixed rate. Or in theory, a utility can do it themselves, right? And they can say, without the price signal attached, they can just say, it'll be a lower cost to serve if I do all these things and then give you a fixed bill in exchange. But either way, there needs to be either a uh, explicit or implicit sort of like value attached to the um, time of usage and time of delivery of these products. Yeah, you're 100% right. And this goes back to the bundling, right? The, the only way to do this particularly well is by bundling a demand side device with the flat bill. Um, what I just said is wildly complex for the average consumer. So there has to be someone that does it for them, that does it for the consumer, that bundles it and makes it simple. And so I'm long, you know, fixed bill, flat bill, subscription energy, whatever you want to call it, because I think for the average consumer, it's, it's just easy. And then the, the DER nerds, uh, like us and others can take care of, you know, all of that arbitrage and stuff that you talked about. All right, last question for you. You've alluded a couple of times to data and to surfacing data for consumers. This is another area where I think there's been long debate um, about the degree to which this this really matters to consumers. So curious what your experience has been thus far in terms of how much information do consumers, and this obviously is going to vary based on which category they fall in from your original categories, but how much data on our own energy consumption um, or where it's coming from, where it's sourced, how clean it is, like how much of that data can, do we actually want? How much of it can we actually digest as consumers? And uh, how important is it to present that data to us in order to get us to take whatever actions you want me to take on to, you know, make my energy consumption cleaner? Yeah. So let's be honest. Most customers don't care. They may look at it once and say, this is how I use my energy. Great. I'm going to move on now. The thing they do care about that we found is what is my carbon impact? 
What is my impact on the environment, my neighborhood, et cetera? So that's meaningful, and that's something we unlock. But the actual energy data and quote, quote, load profiles, et cetera, nobody really cares about. Now, here's why it's useful. All of the stuff we've talked about, sizing your solar system, how many batteries, what time of day to discharge the battery, um, what kind of retail energy plan to put you on, capacity factors, all this stuff that maybe some of your listeners like have heard of, all the stuff the, to monetize DERs and new energy services depends on that data. And so it may not matter necessarily to the consumer, but unlocking that data is wildly valuable to every electric vehicle company, every rooftop solar company, every battery company, every retail energy company. Um, and that is incredibly important. And um, now I'm going to make this analogy again because I, I, I find it like so fascinating to dig into is in the financial world, you've had incumbents like large banks that siloed their data. And so you may be a Wells Fargo mortgage customer. Maybe you had a Bank of America checking account and it was and you had a brokerage with, I don't know, Fidelity. And so life was complicated because you have three different data streams that don't talk to each other when in fact they should be talking to each other because they all sort of interact with one another. The same thing, the same problem, the same data silo problem is happening across utilities. And it only matters now because all of these products exist. You can get solar, you can get a retail plan, you can do demand response, you can do all these things, but you need to understand how someone uses energy in their home to actually engage in these products. And, and so that, to me, when we talk about the funnel again, it's maybe like the most important part of the funnel that nobody's really talking about is Sunrun, Tesla, you know, even every electric vehicle company, they should want to know um, or charging company, you know, how you use energy in the home so they can size their products and give you a value prop. I would add to that, actually, that I think electric vehicles complicate this story ev even more so, make it more important, which is to say, his, you know, if I have an ICE vehicle, then my, cons my fuel consumption for travel is like completely separate from my electricity consumption in my home. Whereas if I have an electric vehicle, it's part of the electricity consumption in my home, but it's probably not all of my energy consumption behavior with my vehicle, I'm probably doing some charging outside of the home. So the data you actually need to connect is not even just sitting inside the home at the various devices within the home. It's also like, where am I charging publicly? What does that tell you about my energy consumption and my pattern of behavior and you know what kind of range I need and how much I need to charge at night and all that kind of stuff. So it's it's a that strikes me as like an entirely more challenging a uh, problem to solve given, you know, that you, you can't just contain it all within the home. Yeah. The, the biggest problem in consumer energy is the data model. It's all these disparate data pieces coming together to actually create the better products, the better bundled products that will make life convenient and easy for a consumer. I mean, we could walk through each of these products in the buying process for each of them. And it's, it would, it's wildly painful. You know, so I think you know, where the analogy breaks down, though, with fintech and financial world is those are private companies, the Wells Fargo's, the Bank of America's, et cetera. And in our world, it, it should be easier. We have all paid for these meters uh, as taxpayers, and they're mostly monopolies that own this data that should unlock it. And so, look, I think, I think this is slowly... Um, 
you know, there's great work being done by Mission Data, by companies like us, Utility API and others thinking about the consumer and their data. But it is, to me, the absolute biggest unlock for the consumer, uh, the clean energy consumer, period. It's the biggest unlock for them. So, All right. I think that's all the time that we've got. But Kieran, I uh, desperately miss our periodic in-person beers. So this is the closest we, we've been able to come since COVID. So really appreciate you uh, joining today. Yeah, man. Hope to make it out there soon. Good to see you. Kieran Batraju is the CEO of Arcadia. I'm Shale Khan, Managing Director at Energy Impact Partners. And this is The Interchange, conversations on the future of energy from Green Tech Media.